The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you, each and every week I am the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com. Miningstocks.com, or you can call our office here in New York during normal work hours uh, at 718-457-1426. 718-457-1426, that's also a number where you can sign up, uh, call to sign up for Chen Lin's letter, what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling. You can also go to miningstocks.com to sign up directly uh, with uh, or for Chen Lin's letter as well. Uh, I do want to thank each of you for listening. We'd like to encourage you to continue sending along your questions, comments, praises, and criticisms to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number for Taylor at gmail.com. Also, uh, follow me at Twitter and go to jtaylormedia.com for a lot of interesting and I think very important discussions and uh, articles that are posted there on a regular basis. I do want to thank our sponsors for today's show, uh, Metanor Resources and Avino Gold, uh, Silver and Gold Mines. Uh, we want to thank them for making this show economically viable, and I will be actually talking to David Wolfen, the President and CEO of Avino Silver and Gold, in about 15 minutes from now. I have a few uh, announcements that I would like to make I think are very important things, and uh, they have a lot to do with content that is now posted at jtaylormedia.com. The first thing I'd like to talk to you about is the need to exit the banking system before it implodes or explodes. As the world's monetary system moves ever closer to a colossal failure, I think it is more important than ever to minimize the amount of money that you hold in the banking systems, keep enough that you, for your needs and payments and so forth, but if you have excess, move it into tangible assets that are much safer uh, than the ele- electronic form of wealth. Uh, in fact, when you put your money in the bank, you're not, it's not even your money. You're making a loan to the bank. Keep that in mind as you keep your money in the bank. But regarding the uh, susceptibility of, of wealth uh, to the banking system, I would strongly suggest you do two things. Listen with, to my latest interview with uh, James Rickards at, uh, uh, at uh, J. Taylor Media. 
the case for gold uh, is the new case for gold is the name of his book. He explains why your money is unsafe in the banking system and why you need to move your wealth out of the banking system and into tangible assets. And most obvious that, of course, tangible asset being gold. Of course, many other guests on this show have warned us as well about the need to get out of the banking system. Chief among them would be Ellen Brown, who was with us a few weeks back. You may want to listen to that interview with Ellen as well, if you have not yet done so. Secondly, uh, another thing you can do, I would strongly encourage you to do, one form of owning gold is with BitGold. Gold money, uh, now BitGold being a subsidiary of gold money, there you can uh, you can use your dollars to lodge gold. You buy gold, lodge it with gold with bit gold, and then as you need, you can take that gold and transform transform it into dollars. Put it on your credit card. It's not a credit card, excuse me. It's a prepaid bit gold Mastercard, which I have in my possession and have begun using. Uh, so you can transfer your your money uh, out of digital money. Put it into hard gold back money. It's allocated gold for your account. It is your gold, and and then use it. And over time, as uh, as we've learned, gold goes up dramatically, even against the U.S. dollar. Yes, the last few years, gold has been weak relative to the dollar, but it's gone up significantly, virtually uh, against virtually all other currencies. And of course, this year so far, gold has started out very strongly. Uh, as well against the dollar. And um, as James Rickards has told me in my interview, he, he's uh, talking about the likelihood that the dollar is now uh, poised for a decline, uh, perhaps a very significant decline, uh, which also should be very bullish for gold. A second thing I'd like to talk to you about uh, is the emergence of the gold mining sectors. Very strong this year so far, along with the price of gold. And so things are starting to heat, heat up uh, significantly in the junior gold mining sector. As a result, uh, the stocks in my newsletter are up very dramatically this year, the gold stocks in particular. So with investors placing a lot of uh, more emphasis and taking some interest in this sector, last week Columbus Gold announced a hostile proxy fight aimed at taking over East Main resources. Both Columbus Gold and East Main are recommendations in this in my newsletter, and I interviewed the CEOs of both companies uh, yesterday. Actually, my interview is with Robert Juster of Columbus Gold, and with Don Robinson of East Main are posted at J Taylor Media. J Taylor Media. Both will describe or will discuss their sides of the story. Robert Juster, why he thinks it's necessary to change the management. Uh, and uh, of of East Main in order to inha- increase shareholder wealth of that company, and Don Robinson, who has been long term time president of that company, uh, arguing against that. So, if you're interested in this topic, and I think you should be, uh, you can hear it at J Taylor Media as well. Uh, my partner Chen Lin, uh, who's uh, just now arrived in Hong Kong, um, he did an interview with me that is also posted at J Taylor Media. You know, Chen took $5,400 and in less than 10 years turned it into $2.5 million in a non-leveraged account. He is a very sharp investor. What I found about Chen is that if you can discern which stocks he is most heavily putting his own money into and then buy those stocks and keep up with his thoughts on an ongoing basis and then uh, exercise some patience along with that, I think you can do very well uh, with Chen's uh, with Chen's investments, but you do need to stay on top of it, and you do do need to uh, discern what Chen is really doing and and what he is investing in, and keeping on top of that. I'm not saying that you can do as well as Chen does, 
but I do believe there's a chance you can do exceptionally well. Well, Chen, this past week, talked to me about four of his favorite picks, and these are stocks that I know he has a significant portion of his portfolio into. The two biotech stocks, which he's talked about before on this show, is Sorrento Therapeutics and Sarepta Therapeutics. And then he talked... Uh, on my interview with him, posted at Jay Taylor Media, he talked about Pan Orient Energy and Canical Energy. I find all four of those stocks very exciting stories, and I think all four of them have the potential uh, to do exceptionally well for investors that are paying close attention to, uh, to what's going on. You can, of course, sign up for Chen's newsletter at miningstocks.com, as I mentioned just a moment ago. Uh, last but not least, I, I will be a speaker in my friends and uh, competing newsletter writers, Brent Cook, Eric Coffin, Brian London, and Gwen Preston will be speakers uh, at the Metals Investment Forum on May 14th and 15th. It's going to be held at the Georgia Hotel in Vancouver. Um, now, keep in mind with respect to this event, the companies that are going to be speaking there uh, are companies that have been invited by the newsletter writers. So they are the favorites of those writers. They are companies that those writers, in their view, believe are uh, vastly undervalued and provide great upside potential. So it's not as if companies just pay to get in to tell their stories. These are companies that are recommended by the likes of Brent Cook, Eric Coffin, Brian London, Gwen Preston. And I, a couple of my favorites uh, may also be there as well. So uh, to listen to this, uh, to sign up for this uh, show, it is free of charge. Uh, to investors uh, and people that are listening to this radio show, you can simply go to J. Taylor Media, go to J. Taylor Media and click on the Metals Investor Forum uh, banner that's there towards the upper right hand side of J. Taylor Media uh, website. I hope to see as many of you there as possible. One more thing before we get into today's show uh, Novo Resources, I do talk frequently uh, with a doctor excuse me, with Dr. Henning, the president of the company. And I would suggest you keep your eyes peeled on Novo. Keep uh, your eyes peeled uh, for news that might be forthcoming uh, relating to the company's Beaton's Creek project and the test mining that's uh, expected to occur very shortly. Also, it seems possible to me that there could be some financing announcements forthcoming sometime in the not-too-distant future as well. I know that uh, Dr. Henning has... Uh, suggested that there are some major companies, in addition to Newmont Mining, which still owns 22% of Novo, uh, that have expressed an interest. And uh, certainly, Quinton is expecting to move forward uh, simply by uh, producing uh, with his uh, going into production on a small-scale basis to generate cash flow from the oxides, the low-cost, we believe will be low-cost production uh, from the uh, oxides that come to surface there. Uh, but he is also looking at the possibility of uh, really outlining what he thinks could be um, another very substantial Whitwaters-Rand-like deposit, and that may create, may cause a significant, will no doubt uh, require a significant amount of money in order to move that project forward. Let's get in uh, to today's show. I've titled it, What Would Trump Economics Mean for America? My guests today are Mark Thornton, he's an economist uh, with the Mises Institute, Jeff Dice, who also works at the Mises Institute, heads, uh, uh, is the president there, and also David Wolfen from Vino will be with me as well today. Well, back in 1971, when Richard Nixon took the global monetary system off of gold, he declared that we are all Keynesians now. Indeed, Keynesian economics has returned the world to the precipice 
of an economic dark age, I believe. That is, uh, I believe I'm in very firm grounds in making a, such a radical statement as that. Based on the many people we've had talking on this show over the years, uh, I am convinced that that is the case, unfortunately. Well, re- you know, the masses of people, I think, also realize that something isn't quite right. And realizing that all is not well under the Keynesian economic world, Democrats are favoring the likes of Bernie Sanders, who would be more Keynesian than Keynes, actually. Uh, Only perhaps Donald Trump provides some hope of a return to free market capitalism. But what would exactly his economic policies look like? Uh, are prospects for our future so dire uh, with the establishment that we may may as well gamble on Trump? Well, Jeff Dice will provide his views on the chances of of Trump entering the White House, and uh, we will ask economist Mark Thornton for his views of what Trump economics might actually look like, for better or worse. And as I noted, David Wolfen, who has done a marvelous job at, as CEO of Vino Silver and Gold Mines, will provide an update on his company's dramatic silver production growth uh, and his soon-to-open gold mine in British Columbia. So uh, we are going to take a commercial break now, but when we come back, uh, I expect to have David Wolfen here uh, to give us an update on this very exciting Avino Silver and Gold Mines Company. Don't go away. I'll be right back with David Wolfen. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino has partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again David Wolfen. David's been with us several times in the past, uh, so I won't go through his, uh, through his bio word by word just to tell you that uh, he is a son of a, uh, of a, of a miner, an entrepreneur. Uh, his father, uh, who I've known for many, many years, brought David up uh, in the mining industry, and, and David had to learn uh, everything about mining and, uh, you know, from all the underground mucking and exploration and fundraising and everything else. So he brings with him um, 
a tremendous background, and I think it is really benefiting the shareholders of Avino very well. I think he's done a splendid job, so I'm really pleased to have him with us. Uh, Avino is trading, uh, you buy it in the United States and in Canada under the symbol ASM. Uh, there's only 37.7 million shares outstanding, and it's telling. I, I checked a little while ago at about a dollar, a little over a dollar, dollar one, I think, in in New York, uh, in U.S. dollars, and so that gives it a market cap of only about 38 million dollars, despite the fact that the company reached record silver production last year, over three million ounces of silver equivalent ounces, I should say, because there's copper and gold in that mix as well. Uh, and despite the fact that it is embarking on production from a high-grade gold mine known as the Braylorn Mine, a famous mine in the past that is being put back into production in British Columbia. So I think there's an awful lot of reasons to consider this a very undervalued stock. I'm very pleased to have David with me. Again, thanks for joining me, David. Oh, thanks for having me, Jay. It's a pleasure always, to be here. Always good to talk to you. It's always good to talk to successful people. We, Lord knows we've had enough people in this industry over the last few years. It's been very, very difficult sledding, but in spite of that fact, in spite of the fact 2015, 2014, horrible years for our industry, lots of juniors going out of business, lots of them hibernating and basically shutting down operations, but you guys have been growing dramatically. Last year, you increased your production by 116% to 3,020,348 silver equivalent ounces, David. Uh, congratulations on that. And uh, how did you do it? How did you manage to, to boost uh, sales and, and production so dramatically? We've been growing organically. So we started with the first mine uh, on the property, the San Gonzalo mine, and uh, declared commercial production in uh, 2014 and uh, used that cash flow to... Uh, rehab the Avena mine, and we brought that online uh, at the beginning of last year. It's still considered development phase, but uh, we're developing on the vein, so the vein is able to feed an expanded mill. So we expanded the mill a couple times, uh, started in 2014 at 250 tons per day, and now we're producing at 1,500 tons per day. Mm. So uh, that's well, how you- we've done it. I noticed in in the uh, in the statistics put out that your copper production grew very dramatically last year. How do you account for that? Is that that something that from the Avino mine? From the Avino copper there, it's a it's a big system. Uh, Right now, we're uh, more than halfway through the development plan. We're putting in uh, seven levels on the Avino mine uh, from below where we left off mining in two thousand and one. And right now we're we're drifting about 450 meters long, and it's averaging 40 to 50 meters wide. So mm, it's like good. A, it's massive uh, stockwork system. This is what the Spaniards found 500 years ago, and we're still mining on it. It's it's really really big, and and so there's there's minerals of a lot of uh, copper in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, David, uh, is the depth is this thing extend to depth? Do your geologists believe? Absolutely. We don't know uh, yep. below our, our current area. I mean, uh, we, we, we drilled it off between 2006 and eight. We did uh, um, 30,000 meters drilling around the property, but a lot of it was concentrated here, and that gave us the resource mm-hmm. of about uh, 4.2 million indicated tons and 3 million tons inferred. <clears throat> so we felt that's enough to justify getting it up and running because we knew it was going to take a while it was flooded. Um, Mm -hmm. because the open pit on top 
acted like a funnel. So there was there was a million cubic meters of water we pumped out, <laughs> and uh, and acid generating. So we had to treat it. We built a water treatment plant and treated uh-huh. that water and supplied the water to the local communities. So they're really happy with us. Yeah. Mm. Water is a rarity there, is it? A little shortage of water. Yeah, it's a farming area, but they yeah, yeah they they've been through a few years of drought, so they're mm. really happy to get get water from us. Well, uh, David, you're developing several le- seven levels below. You say, uh, what is? The, can you increase the production from a vino as from those various levels, or are there bottlenecks yeah. in terms of? Pulling? We're looking at it right now uh, because mm-hmm. because the, the the system is so wide and so long. We're yeah. we're doing a met- long hold drilling a sub level caving, which is a cheap form of mining, and. Uh, you know, we could feed a much larger mill. So we're doing, we're running the uh, numbers right now to see what it would cost to do another expansion. And mm-hmm. um, I don't have that information at this time. Right. All right. Well, that's something we'll want to know about in the future for sure. Yep. Uh, you did uh, show an accounting profit in 2015, a, a year, as, as I mentioned, was just a horrible year. Um, but yet I noticed that it was the top line growth was not. In fact, I think it might have actually declined by a little bit, despite the fact that you're, you increased your production by 116%. That is the silver equivalent production. Sure. Uh, now, I know prices have declined. Prices were lower probably in 2015 overall. Copper especially was low and gold and silver as well. But what could you account for a decline of that magnitude uh, in light of the fact that you produced, uh, you increased your well, production by 116%? Yeah, it's simple. I mean, Navino is not considered revenue at this stage because it's still in development phase. We're close to declaring commercial production, but we didn't want to be premature because originally we started with a 20- to 24-month mine plan of development. And so that's putting in the the haulage ramp that's drifting along the veins, preparing it all for mining. Mining is starting very shortly right now, and, and so... Uh, we'll be close to declaring commercial production this year, and uh, uh, I can't say when, but I'm hoping, uh, uh, you know, in the first half of this year. And, mm-hmm. and so then all of the um, last year, the uh, recovery of uh, exploration and development expense will become revenue. So last year was $21.5 million. Wow, so $21.5 million that doesn't show up on the top line revenue, revenue line growth, right? Exactly. That's- that's just not there. So, in fact, I guess you could really say that the performance was better than it looked, probably. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot we better than it looked. We didn't want to prematurely declare commercial production for the revenue aspect because the costs are higher during development phase. Once you're mining, you, then you no longer have those development costs. So we, we want to keep a low cost uh, of production. So we're just being patient, that's all. And if you look right. at our costs for San Gonzalo... We're one of the lowest in the industry. I mean, six dollars and sixty-one cents U.S. as cash costs, and then nine forty-nine U.S. all-in sustaining. So you see, the the all-in sustaining is basically overhead. Our overhead smaller than anyone else in the industry because I work for my father, and he doesn't, uh, you know, how uh, stingy he was. You know, uh, <laughs> so we don't have a, a big staff here. You know, we're doing yeah. it with consultants, and we're just doing it you know, being patient and, and growing organically. Right. Well, I love it. Uh, as a shareholder, I love it, David. This is, a, you know, you're, and, I, you know, I might add that uh, the Wolf and family, of course, are, are considerable shareholders in this company, I'm quite sure, right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So your so your interests are aligned with those of the shareholders, which I think is so important. It's always one thing that investors should take a look at before they buy shares to try to figure out if the management's interests are aligned with their own. Well, as you mentioned, you did reduce your costs. So. Uh, and, and I noticed that Q4 was even lower than the average for last year. I would imagine that once that uh, development phase at the Aveno is out of the way, your overall cost might decline even more? Potentially. Potentially. Yeah. And yeah. If, if we do another expansion, obviously you've got the economies of scale that could, could bring down costs further. And then we've got the, the tailings project. I mean, the oxide tailings project, uh, we haven't been able to advance that because it was an active tailings dam. We've already applied to build a new tailings facility on the other side of the property. Mm-hmm. There's two permits required. We've received the first one, so we're just mm-hmm. waiting for the second permit, and then we'll build the new tailings facility. We'll decommission the current tailings facility. Then we can move that project forward. But mm-hmm. we we haven't been sitting idle. We We've actually started drilling the lower uh, oxide bench, because it's tiered, so it's uh, exposed. So we put a bunch of holes in there in anticipation of doing the top portion when it dries out after we decommission it. And then, so then we'll create, we'll make it a reserve, and then uh, then we can make a construction decision on that. Mm-hmm. And that will be the cheapest form of mine. It'll be a similar operation to gold gold, you know. A, mm-hmm. a yes, I'm very familiar with that, yes. Heat uh-huh. bleach and Merrill Crow precipitation plant. It'll bring our costs down even further, and, throw, and yeah. that that project will throw off another million and a half silver equivalent ounces for five years. Oh wow! So you could be up for four million, four and a half, five million ounces of gold, okay. uh, silver. Um, that's our yeah. goal. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm not promising the timing on this because yeah. you know there's unknowns with permitting yeah. and that sort of thing. So, sure, but that's our goal. Yeah. You know, David, one of the things I appreciate, as I just mentioned, is the lack of dilution. I mean, that's what kills investors, long-term investors anyway. Uh, you arranged a very good share, a very good financing with Samsung in which they are, uh, you're selling your, I guess you're selling your concentrate. That's the concentrate yeah. from San Gonzalo, right? Avino. Or from Avino, I'm sorry. Just Avino which has right that now. copper and all, uh, copper and, and but gold. But they're interested in everything, so we're, we're in discussions uh, with them. Well, you you have a good relationship with them, then. I mean, they, you you rate, but again, uh, you how much money did you uh, did you borrow in that way from them? Ten million U.S. and it's, and how far uh, are like you from an, repaying it's, it's that? It's like an offtake agreement, so it yes. gets netted off deliveries. Uh-huh. So uh, so that's how it works. That's how the repayment schedule is. All right, and so. Uh, when might that be concluded? And we use the Braylorn mine is collateral. Not there's so there's no there's no lien or anything on Avino. Oh, and good. The, and okay. they were the ones that steered us in the negotiation, the sales guys, because they wanted us to ask for more money. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't feel comfortable. We said, Ah, let's start smaller. Yeah. And so they're dying for us to grow because they're they're sort of dipping their toe in the water in this business of uh-huh. securing it from the source and. And they liked that we were a small company that we wanted to grow. They didn't want to go to a big company or someone that's pre-production. They wanted someone that has production that can grow. And so they are dying to give us more money. They want more copper, gold, and, and, and silver. They want that concentrate for their industrial purposes. Yeah, Let they me don't ask want to you. rely on open markets. They want to secure it from the source. They want from to know source. that it's 
uh, a safe place, that they've done their due diligence. It's a lot of due diligence they did. They hired SRK Engineering out of Denver mm-hmm. and sent them down. So, it's, you know, we're, we're light years ahead of anyone else trying to build this relationship with them because, uh, you know, they have to go through all that due diligence. And they've turned a lot of companies away. They, they, they just say, we're happy with you and we want to grow with you. So, um, you know, they're, they're being cautious and patient and growing their business slowly in this regard. Well, I, I Originally, would... they approached me and they said, uh, um, they said, you know, Apple and Intel are promoting, they know where the source of the raw materials come from and that uh-huh. they're not using slave labor or that type of thing. And, um, and Samsung said that, that they wanted to do the same thing because they don't want one day there to be a boycott on their products for whatever, for bad press or something. Yeah. Well, I would think that, uh, you know, investors for Avino should also take additional comfort from the fact that they've done all that due diligence and obviously are comfort, comfortable with the, uh, w- with the quality of your, of your assets and your production facilities. So they're interested also in the Braylorn, perhaps? And, and let's well, talk about the Braylorn. Well, they just to use that as the collateral because yeah. we didn't want to collateralize Avino for yeah. only $10 million. It's worth far yeah. more. So. Yeah. So, so they're like, very transparent and very good to work with. They are a uh, good company. So, yeah, with Braylorn, it's been delayed in reopening because of, uh, you know, the new rules and regulations coming on coming out since Mount Pauly. So, yeah. we, last year um, we raised the dam, uh, the tailings dam, and then they asked uh, us to file a new mine closure plan, which we did, and we're waiting for comments. So it's, it's slow in hearing from the government because they're overwhelmed by dealing with mining in British Columbia. So we've oh. been lobbying them. Uh, we've also done some of their work for them by initiating discussions with First Nations. And we, uh, we've got a great uh, rapport with them. Um, since Mount Polly uh, had closed, there was a college on uh, Vancouver Island called North Island Community College, and they used to send, they have an underground mining program, and they used to send those graduates to Mount Pauly for practical experience. Mm-hmm. And so they called us up and said, can we, we can't do that anymore. Can, can we send them to Braylorn? And a light bulb went on in my head. I said, oh, I'm going to introduce them to the uh, 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 First Nations up in the Lillooet Mining District. And we did. And they, uh, they secured a, a cohort and got funding from the provincial government and 12 students just graduated two weeks ago so uh, uh i went up for the presentation and the, and and the uh, the elders were very very um complimentary of us that we uh initiated discussions with them and we weren't mandated we went up there and and, and said we were introducing ourselves and want to help you right exactly and you weren't mandated then, to do and it then, you and just then diane howell at the ministry of mines we told her that, and, and, and she says, well, you're doing my work for me because that will speed up your permitting process because they're supposed to consult the First Nations, and they're short-staffed. Oh. oh. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a win-win, David, and, and again, I appreciate the kind of uh, extra efforts that you're making along these lines, and uh, I, I think it's, it's very, very good. I, I just have to ask you, uh, I see you did a small financing, uh, 800000 sure. U.S. at a dollar, uh, yeah, is that, that just a, to make sure you have a cushion here as you go well, as you develop? Portfolio really? manager out of Chicago that uh, we've been um, talking to for their a deep value investor type uh-huh. uh, model, and uh, we encourage you know these type of uh, players to come to the mine. So he sent an analyst to the mine 
they loved it, and then they made us an offer to position uh, some of their accounts with the stock, and there's no warrant, there was no discount, low commission. So these are the type of investors uh, we want. So yeah. uh, we agreed and we did it. All right, David, we're, we're just basically out of time. Anything else you'd like to add? Um, what, what can you tell our listeners to, to, you know, to really impress on them the need to pay attention to what you're doing and perhaps pick up some shares? Yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, the stock's really going to perform well this year once we declare commercial production at the mm-hmm. Avino, and so keep an eye on that. Uh, we've got some exploration going on there, and then probably the announcement of Braylon reopening, and, and so we've got good news coming. Lots of good news, and uh, and you never know, you might have some news on the tailings project as well. So Absolutely. Yeah, it is an exciting story, David. I want to thank you very much uh, for taking your time to share that with our listeners, and we look to, forward to talking to you again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, David. Well, folks, don't go away because we're going to have Jeff Deist and Austrian economist Mark Thornton with us right after the commercial break. Both of these gentlemen are with the Mises Institute. We're going to ask them about what they think a Donald Trump presidency would look like for the economy. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Mr. Dice and Dr. Thornton. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino has partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Dr. Mark Thornton. Uh, Jeffrey Deist was going to join us, but I guess uh, he had to make a trip to the dentist, and his mouth is full of, you know, that stuff they put in there to keep things from hurting when they poke around. So Jeff is not going to be with us, um, but Dr. Thornton is, and I'm really pleased to have him with us. Uh, He is uh, uh, an American economist of the Austrian School of Persuasion. We've had him on this show before, Um, and uh, you can find out more about him by going to the Mises website, and uh, his bio is there, and also he produces, provides a lot of great content uh, there as well. So thanks for joining me today, Mark. It's good to have you with me again. Jay, it's great to be back on your show again. 
Really good to have you. Uh, you know, I I must admit that as a um, uh, as, as a person who reveres Austrian economics, I pay far too less attention to the Mises Institute and all the good stuff you you and others post there. Uh, a lot of great interviews and, and articles, and I think you write something almost daily, don't you? Uh, yes, we're on the blog every day, and it's uh, been great. We've got a lot of young scholars on there from all over the world, and so you're getting some great reporting, up-to-date stuff on our blog. So people do people talk about what's going on around the world in the in the economies and political issues and so forth, or what, what sort of things are talked about on that blog? Oh, exactly. You know, issues involving gold, issues involving uh, central bank policy are prime examples, and we also do you know microeconomic policy examples, uh, staying up to date with the news from an Austrian perspective. I think that's the most important thing because the mainstream media is. Uh, junk news, basically, and you can go to Mises.org, M-I-S-E-S dot O-R-G, get on our blog and uh, subscribe, and it's great stuff. Uh, do, what, do, do you get any feedback from people around the world about Donald Trump and the American electoral, electoral process? Yes, we do, and it's uh, both uh, highly positive and highly negative. Uh, foreigners, for example, are very concerned about Donald Trump's foreign policy and carpet bombing and trade policy, uh, but others are very um, encouraged about uh, the developments uh, and the support that an outsider, uh, not really an outsider, but outside the political process person, uh, is doing so well. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that, Mark? I mean, I'd say, you know, the one part of me says, I'm glad to see the establishment being challenged on the other part, I don't know if I quite believe or, or understand what, what Trump's policies would be. Well, that's a very good question as well. Uh, I think it's a good uh, sign that Donald Trump is getting 35%, 40% support. And Bernie Sanders, the same thing on the far left. Uh, their policies are problematic for sure. But the fact that so many Americans from across the political spectrum, uh, from the Tea Party to the progressive socialists, are saying that the establishment is wrong. The establishment is working in their own interest. They're not working for the average American. And so these two candidates are drawing from the far left, from independent voters, from Tea Partiers, uh, even libertarians. I talked recently, just a couple days ago, for the chairman of Libertarians for Trump, Mm -hmm. uh, which sounds like an oxymoron. And I specifically asked him, you know, what do you think of his economic policies? And he said, oh, no, his economic policies are all wrong. But uh, the fact that he's standing up to the establishment is why you see some libertarians uh, supporting him as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Mark, if you're talking about 35 to 40 percent on both the left and the right that are in favor of Trump and Sanders, respectively, then you're looking at, um, you know, a 70 to 80 percent disenchantment from, from the American people, to the extent, of course, those people that are voting in the primaries are probably more politically active than, the, than a lot of other people. But nonetheless, uh, it would suggest there is a great deal of, uh, of, of, uh, of disenchantment across the country then, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And, of course, we have known um, about the problems that the Federal Reserve and the federal government has created for Americans currently – and we also know uh, the, all the future problems that we're going to be facing with the national debt, the entitlement programs, the empire falling apart, uh, and what all the implications of that are for the average, ordinary uh, American 
and people abroad too as well. We're creating problems all over the globe. Uh, we've made a mess of the Middle East, of course. Uh, that problem is coming home uh, to roost one airline ticket at a time. Yeah, and and so it's great that people are finally waking up to all this nonsense and putting uh, at least their vote uh, where it counts. A protest vote. The question is, though, what do we do? Do we do we provide a, a better solution or something that might be worse? I guess is is the fear that I have. Uh, you never know unless people are, are properly educated, and if, I think that's where the Mises uh, Institution does such a great job. Uh, you know, I, it is just astounding to me that. We're, we're supposed to be, or we're known as a capitalist country, yet I don't see anything that, that resembles capitalism to, to any great extent. If you start out with the money markets, for example, Mark, how can we have capitalism if you don't allow capital to be a, a price discovery of capital? Oh, that's absolutely correct. That's what Mises says is the highlight of capitalism is you have to have stock markets and financial markets so that capital goods are correctly priced. And what the Federal Reserve has been up to for the last 25 years is intervening in those markets. And of course, after the financial crisis, they intervene on the behalf of the big banks, the investment banks in particular, uh, driving the interest rate to zero. And so not only are you distorting uh, capital pricing, but you're also creating a situation on Main Street where uh, my savings account uh, earns me point zero one of one percent. That's just uh, that, ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. Ridiculous, and it's just a a blatant uh, sign or symbol or example of the nonsense that uh, the Federal Reserve, uh, Chairman Yellen, uh, have committed themselves to. Yeah, it's incredible, and you, and you wonder. It seems as though every step along this along the line of nonsense requires even greater nonsense uh, as a follow up. And um, so, of course, uh, zero interest rates aren't good enough. We need to go to negative interest rates now. Do you think that? What do you think the chances of that happening in the United States are? Well, it's already started to happen in some European economies and in some European banking institutions where they've basically driven cash out of existence so that they can create negative interest rates so that they can, in effect, tax all of our bank accounts uh, on a daily basis. And of course, some government bonds have also gone to negative interest rates. Uh, so they've started this process. They're continuing this process. There's a war on cash going on in the United States. It's in its early stages, uh, but they're planning on phasing out the $100 bill to make it more difficult for us to hold cash in large mm -hmm. amounts. Mm -hmm. uh, the European Central Bank is phasing out the 500 euro bill, again, to make it more difficult to, uh, to hold large amounts of cash. And I uh, made a comment on our blog last week that these negative interest rates are really working to stimulate the economy because the Japanese are buying safes in record numbers and they're completely out of stock now of safes. Huh. And in Germany, banks are building uh, a record amount of new space for safe deposit boxes. I'll be darned. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so they're, they're going to build more uh, space of uh, safety deposit boxes in Germany in, in next year than in any year in history. And, uh, and, of course, the Japanese have ramped up their imports and production of safe. So it actually has stimulated uh, some ec economic activity, but it's of the most ludicrous form. 
Right. So people are just getting ready to store their paper, I guess, or gold or whatever else. I think both, actually. I think uh, people are storing, and central banks are also storing uh, record amounts of gold in China. Although the uh, Bank of Canada actually just sold its uh, last remaining amount of gold, so they're goldless now. Yeah. But I think, I think people are uh, stocking up on gold. They're stocking up on silver. They're stocking up on cash, um, you know, not just in the United States, but in many places around the world. Mm-hmm. Well, we certainly have talked on this show about the need uh, to get your money out of electronic form. Actually, what people, I, th- I think the vast majority of people don't really even understand that when they put their money in a bank, they're actually unsecured lenders to the bank. It's not even their money anymore until they take it back out. So the dangers of, of, of owning money, and now if they're not allowing you to withdraw it, even cash out of the, out of the system, uh, then I think uh, there's good reason to, to, to look for other, re- other, um, other places to store wealth and not in some kind of liability wealth or, or electronic form, but in the actual tangible form. So I guess what you're telling me is that's happening now. I wasn't aware of that, that boom for, uh, I guess in the United States, it's guns to a certain extent, but in other countries, it's, uh, it's safety deposit boxes. Um, you know, uh, uh, Mark, aside from the economics, I, I think there are some philosophical issues, though, that Trump is hitting on that make a lot of sense, in, uh, to me anyway. I mean, as an old-timer, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, you know, I, I was brought up to believe that the sovereignty of nations was something that was important. And it seems to me that's part of what Trump is hitting on here. He's looking at building a wall to keep Mexicans out. Well, you know, I mean, that rubs me the wrong way because, and I know it does you as an Austrian, you know, we are free market, we're free traders, we want to trade freely. Uh, But what do you think in terms of his criticism of things like the Trans-Pacific Partnership and NAFTA and so forth and so on? You're a free trader, I'm sure, all almost all economists, left, right, center, wherever, are free traders. But what are your thoughts about some of these trade agreements like Trans-Pacific Partnership and NAFTA and so forth? Well, I don't like them. They're not free trade. Uh, they're basically crony capitalism, uh, which puts the interest of the capitalists, the bankers, the big corporations, the patent holders. It puts their interest forward while at the same time having a very detrimental effect on labor markets here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, c- consumers are benefited to a large extent by these trade agreements, but there are winners and losers, and it's not real free trade. And so I think he's a populist, and he's going for these issues which resonate with many, many Americans who have not done well over the last many years. And you got to remember that Trump grew up in the 50s and 60s when America was, you know, a clear superpower far above and beyond everybody else. And then as he comes into adulthood, you see the U.S. Uh, going into stagflation, having to be forced off of the gold standard by the French, uh, losing the Vietnam War, having uh, Watergate, and, and all the other problems that he faced as a young man. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that whole, uh, I want to make America great again, uh, instead of the Japanese being great, and the Chinese being great, and India being great, he wants to bring the United States into a position of economic leadership. Uh, he wants to be, bring the United States back to its clear economic greatness. The problem is, of course, is he doesn't know how to do that. Um, 
uh, unless his entrepreneurial skills somehow win out and cause him or lead him to uh, the right free market positions, but I'm afraid that that's uh, not likely to happen. Uh, so his uh, is, is sort of a populist nationalism. Uh, we want to be great. We want to feel superior to other countries. We want to be something extraordinary uh, compared to other people. You know, sort of fictitiously holding ourselves out to be something much greater than anybody other any other country could be. That is certainly in opposition to an Austrian school viewpoint of free trade, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And nationalism, of course, is highly problematic. It it's, leads in dangerous directions including war. Yeah. And, and so that has to be, that inclination has to be fought at every turn. It always has to be pointed out that trade agreements are for the crony capitalists, that they're not free trade, and building a wall is not going to help. It's not going to stop the Mexicans from coming into this country. It's just a matter of the economy. And if there's jobs, um, you know, that's going to be important. And, but the wall is not going to be uh, – stopping those Mexicans from coming or going. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, what I'm worried about most is going to prevent me from leaving the country. Oh, yeah. Well, there it seems to be, it certainly makes it more difficult all the time. It has been more difficult for a number of years uh, to transfer money into different countries. I know that. So the amount of paperwork you have to go to go through to buy a few shares of stock on a private placement in Canada is astounding. I, I don't have all but given up on that. Um, well, Trump is considering, you know, he's considered by the mainstream propaganda artists to be a, a protectionist. And I guess I guess you could say he is. But they like to point to the 1930s and say if we, if Trump were elected, uh, you know, we would have this, we'd, we'd go back into a depression like the 1930s. What are your thoughts on that? Well, if he actually did, you know, as a presidential order, uh, act against China and some of these other economies in a brash, harsh way, I think there would be trouble because that would engender and start a trade war mm-hmm. where we're raising tariffs, other countries are raising tariffs, uh, the flow of international trade falls off precipitously, and of course that's going to hurt Americans who are in export industries or consumers, uh, so it's a very bad precedent. He'd have to go about it in a more diplomatic way where there were no- negotiations and renegotiations uh, to get us in a better balance with respect to trade and hopefully get some more free trade uh, instead of these uh, these agreements between uh, multinational corporations. Uh, but the, the uh, stock market crash of 1929 led to the passage of the Smoot-Hawley tariff in 1930. And that's really one of the factors that made the, that depression a great one because it snuffed out uh, international trade. It hurt our farmers. It hurt our manufacturers. It hurt Europeans and other people around the globe. It cost us a lot of jobs. It drove the unemployment rate up to 25% and kept it at above 15% for most of the rest of the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And so that was a very, uh, very unfortunate. It turned a monetary panic and a stock market panic into a long, uh, deep, uh, great recession. Mm-hmm. I think it was Ron Paul who suggested that if we want to have free trade, all we really have to do is just cut uh, tariffs. The countries could just agree to cut tariffs by whatever amount. And um, do you agree with that? Yes. I mean, free trade is a unilateral act where you lower your tariffs, you reduce your quotas, 
you uh, increase the limits on importing, you reduce the paperwork involved. Ideally, you just eliminate all uh, interventions and restrictions on trade. But as David Stockman has recently argued, you could you don't necessarily have to drop the rates to zero. You can keep them in, with positive rates to generate revenue uh, through trade and, uh, and then be able to cut taxes in the United States on mm-hmm. productivity. So that, mm-hmm. would be, that would be a halfway point um, between real free trade and the current mess of protectionism and trade agreements that we currently have uh, so that you have an even level revenue tariff uh, that will allow you to cut taxes on productivity. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, you know, people think about um, exporting jobs and so forth is what Trump talks about. What's not realized is that it's reciprocal. So, you know, if, if, we, if we import more things, uh, we'll be able to export more things. So that's just the free trade idea that seems to, uh, to be missing in the minds of a lot of people and simplistically. But what about the currency? You know, here we, here we are. Uh, it would, you know, the beggar thy neighbor sort of thing. It does seem as though we are in sort of a currency wars situation with countries really, uh, really trying to protect themselves, um, you know, by, by cheapening their currency or, or let's say by exporting, trying to get an advantage over their neighbors by exporting with cheaper currencies. Now, this is something, of course, you know, it was always, always said by those that wanted to get off the gold standard that we needed to do that to allow currencies to move freely uh, and, and uh, you know, to float. And that was an argument. It was a free, free market argument, as I recall, from years ago. Uh, it doesn't seem to be so free, though, after all, does it? Well, it's not a free ar- market argument, but a currency war, we're in a currency war. All the major central banks have reduced their interest rates, their prime interest rate, close to zero, or in the case of Japan and, and uh, the euro, uh, they've gone negative. And, you know, so one currency, uh, one political unit is trying to reduce the value of their currency in order to encourage exports um, and discourage imports by manipulating their currency. Uh, and that can have a sh- very short-term positive effect on export-led manufacturing industries, but it very quickly de- dissipates. And, of course, you're hurting the consumer throughout your economy. So Japan has been trying to do this, and they would point to the report and then all of a sudden, you know, that first good report is followed by several bad reports on production, manufacturing, GDP. Yeah. And so it's a self-defeating policy. It hasn't worked. It just has a very short-term appeal. And it ultimately is hurting consumers throughout the economies that are trying to do it. But when everybody's trying to do it, it just hurts everybody. All right, Mark. We're going to have to leave it go at that. We're just about out of time. But just one last question. What are the odds of Donald Trump winning the presidency? A snowball's chance in hell greater? Well, everybody's ganging up on him. And uh, the Democrats, the Republicans, the independents, the establishment, uh, the media establishment, everybody's going after him. And I'm afraid he's going to uh, suffer uh, in the short run here. I think his poll numbers and his, uh, and his uh, election results are going to weaken in the short room, at the, in the short term. But... Uh, going forward, uh, there still remains a chance that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. The problem is, is that many establishment Republicans would rather vote for Hillary Clinton yeah, than Donald I, I Trump. Know. 
I know so. that's that's really that's where we're at now. We're unfortunately we're also out of time. Good talking with you again. Thanks so much, Mark, for being with us, and we'll look to do it again sometime in the near future. Absolutely, Jay. I love doing your show. It's a great show. Thank you so much. Well, folks, uh, that is all the time we have. I uh, want to uh, invite you back next week. Jim Rickards will be here and uh, probably another guest or two. So we do hope that you'll check in next week. Uh, until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.